that's a huge part of our program as well. And Andy is um, very good at this, at kind of at, at coaching the parents on how to say no. And sometimes the parents will will they'll want to blame the house and say like, well, the house the house won't let you have your phone. And and what what Andy will do is is teach them how to say, look, this is the boundary. This is what we want, and no one is treated special. It doesn't matter. We don't care what your dad does for a living or what your dad doesn't do for a living. This is what we do here, and you're gonna do it with us, and we're gonna and we're gonna do it together. Here we go again, everybody. Happy Tuesday. Welcome back to the Nurse Tori Selfie Show, where I am on a mission to make healthcare hip one selfie at a time. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Tori Meskin, aka at Nurse Tori. This is a platform dedicated to the amazing things going on here in the healthcare space. From medical field to entrepreneurs, brands, and businesses, I want to bring it all here to you. We're going a little Joe Rogan today, you guys. Many of you who follow me know this. I am a huge advocate for mental health. I think this is something I'm so passionate about due to the way it's affecting my family. So today I've brought on The Last House, founder Clayton Ketchum and director of admissions Chris Kirby. They are two of the amazing men running this group of award-winning sober living homes as seen on Dr. Drew Pinsky's podcast. We talk drugs, alcohol, DUIs, personal discipline, mental health, and overcoming obstacles. We get real on this one. And to be honest, I truly attribute my brother's success navigating his bipolar diagnosis, sobriety, and quite frankly, his life due to this program and these homes. And so today I managed to wrangle them in and bring them here to you. This house single-handedly changed our family's projection. And you really honestly don't need to be sober or in recovery or someone who's even really touched by mental health to really get something out of this episode. For all my healthcare providers out there, I really feel like this is going to be a good one for you. Addiction really comes to us in so many different ways. For those of us in healthcare, we face both mental health and substance abuse daily, whether it's in the ER with an intake, in the ICU with an overdose, in the NICU with a drug addicted mother, mental health wards, prisons. It just comes to us in so many different ways. And I just want to make it relatable seeing as I am a nurse and I have been through it. I've been through the ringer with a family member who has mental health and substance abuse issues. And so I want to platform that moment here for you guys. All right. And lastly, before we head in, at the end of the episode, we have something really special for all of my healthcare providers out there. If you're seeking a degree in mental health education, stick around to the end. We have a great scholarship opportunity for you. So without further ado, let's dive in. Hey guys. Hi. Thanks for having us. Thank you so much for coming in to talk to us. So to give you guys, I want to give our listeners a little background real quick. Um, so you guys have been featured on the Dr. Drew show. You guys have had features with ABC, Fox, NBC, the CW, Yale. And I wanted to bring you in here today as to what I consider sort of like a success story, because I feel like from our family's perspective, we were a success story from your program. So I want to bring you in today and I want to give our, our listeners a quick visual of what I'm seeing here today. So um, what I love about you guys really is you guys are so relatable. You like you have like this, you know, Clayton, you're just kind of like this, I don't know, rustic, trendy guy. Chris, you've got this like mustache. You guys are just like very like, I don't know, modern day relatable. Thank you. You, you could hang out with us, yeah, is what you're saying. You're like someone that I would definitely, and you're very cutting edge. And I think that's something that I really want to highlight and talk about. And we're going to go into that today. So thank you very much for coming in, you guys. Uh, we're going to go ahead and dive right into this. So can you guys open up a little bit or talk to you about, speak to your story a little bit and about the last house and how this came to be? Yeah. So I guess first off, I would dig into how I got sober and like my journey in recovery and... Uh, and that will translate into how the last house came about. And so I got sober when I was 27, 28 years old mm -hmm. after a series of stints in various types of institutions from detoxes, halfway houses, couple stints in county jail, things of that nature. And, um, and I ultimately ended up in a program 
when I was 27, 28, that I modeled the last house after, and uh, it's no longer around, and it, it kind of morphed into a big treatment center, and then uh, things changed, and, and so it's, it's, not, um, it's not around anymore, but that program changed the complete, the direction of my life. I got there, um, I didn't know how to fend for myself, I didn't know how to do everything kind of was was baffling to me and and from life in general like if if I got a parking ticket my car was towed everything was kind of catastrophic and it was cuz I didn't have tools to kind of navigate through these things I used to walk around uh, I grew up in Los Angeles and I used to walk around loaded looking at people eating lunch and doing life and and just in kind of yeah what, do you mind me asking what your drug of choice was or what was your... I went through different periods where, um, but ultimately it's meth and, and heroin were the okay. one that kind of kicked me to the curb, yeah. so to speak. Interesting. And... Um, and you're the founder, right, Clayton? Yes. Yeah. And so we started, I started The Last House in 2010 okay. and uh, started with a very... I knew the direction that I wanted to take the program, but I didn't I didn't know exactly how that would transpire, but I had the vision right. and um, and we started with a little house yeah. right around the corner from Hamilton High mm-hmm. in this little it's kind of Beverly Wood Beverly Wood adjacent. Yeah. <laughs> I remember I was on the phone with with Clayton and he he said like Beverly Wood. I was from Northern California. You're like a, a what? I was like no, I, I thought I it was like I was like oh that must mean like Beverly Hills. Right. Like I'm um, going to go to I'm I'm going to you know with all the movie stars. Right. And uh yeah. It's a I, little different part of LA. <laughs> yeah, it, it's it's Beverly Hills adjacent. Yeah. Ish. Yeah. yeah. It's there's parts of Beverly Wood that are very, very nice, but the, you know, it was just a quaint little home, and it was, uh, and and I mo- I quit my job, um, and I moved into this house and set off on this journey of kind of creating this thing, and and uh, you know, fast forward to what it is now. I didn't, I didn't, I knew what I kind of wanted it to be, but right. it's far exceeded uh, my expectations and what I could have um, envisioned for it. And, and then, so. Chris, what's your story? How did you? Get into it. <laughs> Let's go um, the deep. I have a I have a fun story that involves a lot of failure and then meeting Clayton ultimately and, and becoming successful and then this becoming, you know, part of my life. But I was a I'm a product of like uh before the opiate epidemic even like was a thing, we were the generation of 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 kids basically that were getting injured and getting put on prescription pills and you know I always had addiction issues I just um you know I have a uh it's in my family which you know some it's there's a huge genetic part of this disease that we don't really understand but you know I have a sister that's in recovery I have a dad that's now sober I have a mom that comes from a you know, that's had to get sober and, and different, you know, mental health and substance use issues of my family. So I like had this thing and, um, you know, finally at age 26, um, you know, I'd been in and out of treatment for five years and, um, you know, so I'm, I'm like an Eagle Scout, you know, I'm a, mm-hmm. I have a, I got a water polo <laughs> scholarship to college. Right. Um, where I broke some ribs and started taking Norco's and then Oxycontin and then, you know, then trying to get on Suboxone to, to stay clean and get on methadone. And I wound up, um, I'd been homeless. Um, I was a intravenous drug user and I was in basically, um, kind of a, a treatment center that was, you know, half homeless shelter, half treatment center, uh, that I was, I was injecting heroin in my neck. This is, this is my big, big moment. So I was injecting heroin in my neck. Mm-hmm. I was starting to go blind in one eye. And I went down and I and the guys that uh, I was shooting heroin with in this treatment center like didn't want me to leave. They're like, no, bro, stay. You're going to get us all busted. And I was like, no, I need a cigarette. Like, let me out of here. And I was walking down the stairs and I had this realization that, um, you know, nothing could get me sober basically like here I was in a lockdown treatment unit like I really wanted to be sober but I had no idea how and um that you know nothing could get me sober my mom treatment not even myself not even Chris could get Chris sober and that was like when I reached out for help and 
um, you know, it's interesting knowing about, you know, Vince's story and knowing yeah. your family and mm-hmm. um, my mom's kind of like your mom, yeah, very. <laughs> um, you know, shout yeah. out to Lori yeah. and, and all the moms, yeah, all the moms of, all of the, moms. the last house guys, because they yeah. are so strong and so resilient. But I called my mom and her Al-Anon sponsors daughter was married to a guy that was best friends with Clayton and they happened to be in the car at the same time. And my mom was just like, you know, three days later, I was on a plane going to this place. I I didn't even know the name of it, the last house. um, Yeah, yeah, that was where I met Clayton picked me up from the airport um, when I was still all all messed up. And um, how long ago was that? We thought he was sober uh, coming out of detox. (laughs) But lo and behold, he was, I think, getting loaded in detox. And so we were like, all right, what do we do with this? And. Yeah, he was wearing a um, snowboard jacket in like the middle of summer, and uh, at LAX, and I still remember it. Yeah, polka dot board shorts. I was very, I was very confused. Yeah. Um, I think as so many probably are, you know, just going through that. Yeah, just like where do I belong in this world? Right. Was really my like how do like Clayton was talking about like watching people like having lunch and doing normal like how do I do life like how do I do normalcy without getting loaded because life is so painful Um, when you when you have this disease when it's activated and you know you have cravings and you know the constant pressure of needing to feel okay by you know you know, it cost me every time I was getting high, it cost $20 and I needed to get high, you know, five, six times a day. Like, how do I right. live in that space? Yeah. And, and it was really Clayton and, and Andy at the house who taught me how, and the other guys at the house who taught me how to interact with the world. And they were like the first examples I had of like, you know, you know, I know we were kind of joking about my mustache. And, you know, he didn't have a mustache when I met <laughs> It's I iconic now. Grow that one. mustache is very iconic, I'll tell you. <laughs> Thank you. Um, um, I actually want to dive into that a little bit. So we're notorious in it, here. Into the in mustache? Because I have a story about the mustache. Oh, okay. Well, let's go to the mustache. Let's, I want to hear this. <laughs> How did this happen? So um, there's this there's this iconic person in our industry. His name's Bill Lane. Okay. Right. And he he was like he's been sober 56 years. He just passed away, unfortunately, of cancer. But he was the guy. Everybody. If you ask anybody in the recovery. Know. You know, mental health, they will know Bill Lane and Bill Lane and Associates Transport. And he would, rem- he could remember, he would meet you one time, he would remember your name, the name of your program, like who you were, like, that's just the nicest guy in the world. And he would, um, at, at education events and conferences, he would, you know, hold court in the lobby of the hotel room and he would just sit there and everybody would come talk to him, check in. And that's where a lot of networking and you would meet other good people. And I walk into this, and I had this, I did this mustache as a joke. Yeah. And I walk into this, like, super stuffy conference that, you know, uh, mostly lawyers and, and educational consultants and doctors, like, people that are professionals. And I had this mustache, and, and Bill Lane, he's from Brooklyn. He's got this accent. He just goes, holy shit, Chris Kirby, you look like a porn star. <laughs> And oh, yeah. everybody in the lobby looked at me. Sure enough. And start and, and it became like the thing I was known by. You seen a little hair coming out of your chest and then you're going to... I can't grow the hair on the chest. I can only grow the hair above my lip. I, can, I can't even grow it on the sides of my it face. Looks good. Um, and so ever since then, it's become kind of like my thing. Your thing. I love it. And, and now my fiance, who I told you is in nursing school. Yeah. Um, and is really excited uh, for this podcast ah, and this, so and, you know, Great. to have this be uh, popularized, you know, the struggles that you guys go through mm-hmm. um, will not let me shave it. Yeah. Like we have a wedding coming up and she's like, I'm like, I need, you've never seen my face. I love that. I love it. And she won't let me shave it. Fabulous. This is great. Uh, So I want to dive into a little bit more about your guys' program. So here in LA, we're really, we're notorious for sober living, rehab programs, halfway houses, you know, that's like, it's the thing you cut, you go come to LA to get sober. Right. But what sets you guys apart? Cause I think in our head, a lot of people really have this like image of, like what it's like and I just think that you guys do completely the opposite of that which is why you're so I want you to speak on that a little bit what sets you guys apart I guess is what I'm I would I would say that that if you if you call a sober living and ask them well what's your program like they're gonna say 
we're structured. There's a lot of accountability. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, our guys go to meetings and sort of some of that. And and what I've found, and, and, and the, the truth is, is when, when they come to the last house, that's what they're doing. They're going to meetings. There There is a high level of accountability. We do what we say we're going to do. Right. Um, and it's not the type of place that, that uh, you know, some places they just operate out of, they want to, they want to keep their clients happy right. and, and they're okay with them, you know, slouching on the couch, watching TV, daytime TV at 3 PM. Mm-hmm. And, um, and we, we have a regimen and a, and a lifestyle curriculum that starts from when they come in to when they leave and work the entire time. It's never, there's no, finish point while they're in the house we're consistently raising the bar and raising the bar the entire time they're there yeah. um with each added with each added freedom that's experienced while they're in the house is an added responsibility and 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 when someone gets off of you know we have guys come in and they're on newcomer phase and when when they're when they earn the privilege to be off of that one of the responsibilities is starting to, to mentor new guys and take them to meetings and 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 that's a steam building in itself being trusted i know for myself i i didn't i was when i was in sober living and they they were like look you're responsible to make sure that these two guys get to the meeting and they sit in during the meeting and mm-hmm. you're going to sit with them mm-hmm. the whole time it it was like the first time someone was asking me to be responsible for something and it and it and it made me feel good yeah and I, what does it look like okay when you have an admission and intake what does it look like for that person? Like, what what do you what are the rights they get? What are the rights they don't get? Rights is in privileges. Well, I think I think we got to take a step back and talk about yeah. kind of who is what our type of client yeah, is, what is at the client? last house, which is a Vince or a yeah. Chris, yeah. Um, which is a Clayton. If, a Clayton. Yeah. If we look honestly at our stories, you know, there's some common threads. Um, which are kind of this, you know, being raised in affluent families where there's this kind of sense of entitlement that yeah. we're supposed to become something just because of who we are. And basically, um, you know, a last house guy, somebody who's been told this, which so many of us have, have been told, which is you have so much potential if only you would apply yourself. Like I was told that my entire life growing up. Mm-hmm. And so, um, what we're doing is teaching these guys how to, you know, grow to their potential. And it starts with, with what's called contrary action, which is doing the things you don't want to do, like, um, you know, to get the results you've never gotten. And we have all these sayings, you know, uh, if you do what you've always done, you'll get what you always got. And um, change is uncomfortable for, for addicts and alcoholics and people who have, you know, mental health disorders because, um you know, our, everything's designed. We want to be comfortable and stay in our comfort zone. So we're essentially making guys uncomfortable by um, we do a digital detox where they don't have cell phones on them. Um, yeah. And, and one of the huge things is with the advent of the millennial generation and, and, and social media is we, you know, I would sit on Facebook and compare my insides and how I felt to my friends highlight reels on Facebook. And I'm from a community where my friends went to Yale, they went to Harvard, they became, you know, I was I was talking to an ex-girlfriend of mine who saw uh, on the way over here. Tell them tell them where you where you're from. I'm from Orinda. <laughs> <laughs> oh god Cal- yeah it's a norcal I'm, I'm from like i i to get street cred i say i'm from oakland but the truth <laughs> is is i'm really from orinda okay um and no i was talking to my uh this ex-girlfriend who i put through hell and we're now friends because of the gifts of recovery um about just the you know the nature of, of where we grew up and what the expectations were yeah. and so it's it's intervening on on um, you know, it's like our, our friends all work for startup companies, basically. And it's like that conversation is fun for about 90 seconds for them to tell us about their startup. And then it's like the conversation's over and there's nothing more to talk about. Yeah. Um, whereas like when somebody talks to me about my job and, and our experience and all this life experience we've had, um, there, it's really, it's, you know, it's a, a conversation. We're about to do a whole show on it. Yeah. Um, and so intervening on these things that we think are important as far as like financial success, you know, status and, um, getting into like what, you know, how do you have real friendships? You know, how do you ask a girl out on a date 
without swiping right on Tinder. Like um, having these real human interactions. And, you know, we have a buddy system. The guys get a big brother when they come in. And so essentially what it is is like a corrective experience where um, they're they're having a corrective experience of a family where um, because, you know, how deep do you want me to get into this? No, I think it's great. Keep going. I I think this is where... Okay. So I grew up with, with, I don't know if you got this, but my parents wanted me to have the life that they never had, right? Their parents were post-war generation, um, you know, very cold. Dad never said he he loved, you know, told my mom he loved her and things like that. So my parents became the opposite where they they wanted to be at every school event and, and, you know, the all the sports teams and I love you. And, 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 you know, I kind of grew up in this um, very, um, you know, emotionally, you know, supportive household um but we're also like i could get away with a lot of things yeah uh, i think that's brother my brother yeah they Mm -hmm. didn't want to hit me Mm -hmm. because they had been hit Mm -hmm. and so um there are certain things that our generation um needs to you know corrective experience on as far as like not being told you're going to succeed just because of who you are see um you know our, our parents generation was told you can achieve anything through hard work Right. And then our generation is told you can achieve anything through being in the right place at the right time. Mm -hmm. And so there's this, you know, inherent lack of uh, work ethic that is instilled to people in the last house um, just with being taught to show up on time and have consequences. Right. Something that I loved that you said on the Dr. Drew show was we're dealing with ego, entitlement, grandiosity millennial you know that's kind of where your 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 people are at right now and I think it's interesting because I I see part of that and I feel like that's all of your saying it resonates at least in my in our situation as a family yeah and 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 families are are ill-equipped to deal with it because it's like I'm I don't have kids I don't know what it's like to be a mom so there's no emotional attachment for me to tell you know somebody to like you know knock it off and go make your bed and you know yeah. and if they don't like me they don't like me it's it's you know it's yeah. a professional you know um role i have as opposed to you know uh, we talk a lot about parents loving their children to death mm-hmm. and, and, and nurse tori i've actually had moms tell me like if he's gonna die i'd rather him die at home like that's how bad it gets in some of these families right um, because the they know it's coming but at least like i can baby you know i can or you know if you need something i'm there that's a huge part of our program as well and andy is um very good at this at kind of at at coaching the parents on how to say no and sometimes the parents yeah will will, they'll want to blame the house and say like well the house the house won't let you have your phone and and what what Andy will do is is teach them how to say, look, this is the boundary. This yeah. is what we want, and this is and 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 so it's coming from th- another thing that I think that makes the last house special is that we get uh, we cast uh, we have guys from all over the United States, from North Carolina to Ohio to local to, and no one is treated special. It doesn't matter. We don't care what your dad does for a living or what your dad doesn't do for a living. This is what we do here and you're going to do it with us and we're going to, and we're going to do it together. And, uh, and I think that that, um, carries a lot of weight and a lot of, yeah, a lot of these parents, they want, they think, um, their kid is too good to work at Starbucks. And it's like, your kid hasn't worked in eight years. You'll be lucky to work at Starbucks. I, yeah. I feel like we were on the other end of it. So I'll give you a recap of what, like when we came to last house, when Vincent was admitted, right? The recap on this was my brother had had three DUIs, several arrests, mm-hmm. was dealing with court hearings. Uh, he was off bodily his meds. Injury, bodily injury. Right? Yeah, oh yeah. He was just... Like he was on one manic, yeah. manic, completely the opposite of sober and within his mind. And so I think our family, and I, I don't know how many families you get like this, we were so happy to give up everything. I think we just felt like we had hit a wall and there was nothing. I literally was in my, in my head. I was like, he's going to end up dead in a ditch or in jail with 
you know, having killed someone. This is where I was. We were at. It's funny how how people have to once that happens, once that we call it surrender yeah. happens is finally once people let go yeah. is when is when the thing happens. And I and I tell parents about this story about how um, a week before I got sober and came to the last house, I asked my mom if I could come by the house to grab a blanket, if you could just leave a blanket outside. She was like, no, if you come by the house, I'll call the police. Yeah. And it was just like yeah. once that once it was like there was it's, it's, it's almost like once there's this sense of hopelessness, right. um, is there's so much hope in that that's where all the that's where the growth comes from that place where people are able to just let go and yeah. open themselves up to the process right. and you know not every most of the families that that we deal with are, are more early intervention whereas you you know you guys there's yeah, a lot right. of leverage with vince there was yeah. courts yeah. you know he was going to jail yep. there it wasn't like yeah. oh he's not gonna you know uh, he's gonna lose, you know, some things. It was like he was gonna lose his freedom. Yeah, not even jail. I think he was like it was like prison time. He was looking at some serious stuff. Like it was, you know, it was. You were at the end of our rope with that yeah. one. Um, I want to go a little bit micro here. What does a day in the life look for look like for one of your guys? Like, just take me through like a day of what it looks like. Like, so it's it's much like um a, a regular day. So, you know, like. I don't know if I said this yet, but I'm a graduate of the last house. I went through there. So the morning routine is we wake up, we make our beds, we have breakfast, we do morning meditation, we do our chores. Um, and that's all from, you know, 7.30. Day one to, to, to yeah. the end of their stay. So now it's seven years out of the house. Every morning I wake up, I make my bed, I go sit down and have... Uh, I, I have a cup of coffee, um, I meditate, and then I start my day. And it's, so it's, you know, it's basically teaching, it's habituating these, these principles. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so it's it's very, it's just, it's learning, they have a to-do list that they filled out the night before. It's a lot of kind of, you know, stuff that you, we read about in books of like, the you know, the, the, um, how to be successful or like the, the uh, setting the tone of your... highly successful eight right. habits of highly successful, successful people, people. it's right. like all this stuff that that we read and we know we, we right. should do right um but nobody's You're implementing it yeah telling us to do it's it's about action and so and then uh you know during the days when they actually have uh individual therapy and they see a doctor and a psychiatrist and do do group therapy to really you know start to uncover um, what's what's going on with them and and you know you know get their their head right and so the in in there's a there's a whole bunch of like little quick things I could say about why is the last house more successful than than a typical program and I think one of them is that is that we we're treating you know the head and the hand are part of the same body and we're treating both so at the house we're treating you know where are your feet at they're concerned about where are your feet at what are the actions and then they go to our clinical campus and they're doing therapies and EMDR therapy and 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 getting into trauma and you know, uncovering, you know, why they are the way they are. And then um, also furthering that corrective experience and looking at like where their head's at. So the clinical campus worried about where their head's at. And it's joining those two pieces because um, when I'm using, I have, um, I have a head that can't deal with life sober mm -hmm. and I have a body that can't deal with life loaded. And it's like, I keep, you know, my head can't deal with the world and my body keeps getting into trouble or it keeps, you know, overdosing or it keeps, you know, convulsing after too much alcohol. Right. Um, so just like the, the disease, um, you know, and, and with mental health, it's like the, the brain chemistry is off and then the body is, you know, <laughs> crashing cars and winding up in jail and, right. and hurting people or wanting to kill it, you know, kill itself and, yeah. um, body mind and we got to treat body and mind what are what are the big drugs you guys are seeing nowadays like drug type alcohol like what are the most common things you're seeing as far as admission rates and things like that i would say marijuana meth and heroin those are the three what yeah i would say, say I, it's interesting because it depends on the age that come if somebody's coming in kind of more early intervention mm -hmm. or more uh late stage uh -huh. like uh you guys or your family kind of was um yeah. 
you know, definitely early. Brother was old school. He liked the. Uh, <laughs> he was. He liked uh, whiskey. Yeah, he, was he was rocking out. <laughs> he was real rocking out. He was getting any anything he could get his hands on. Let's be honest. But yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, the number one thing we see is opiates. Yeah. I would say no, and and marijuana. Yeah. Um, there's definitely been a little resurgence of meth lately. We're seeing a little more meth. Okay. Um, I and- feel like in the, I'll tell you, in the NICU world, a big one for us is, I would say, for the drug moms we're seeing is like heroin. Heroin's a big one. Yeah. Opiates. Opiates is a big one. It's interesting how it changes where it used to be it was the crack babies and then, you know. Yeah. It, it, yeah. It, it, and it's it, evolved. It changes. And, it does change. Um, Xanax is another huge one for anybody under the age of 23. Um yeah, I wonder if that, like, the Gen Z younger, it's interesting to see. So it's, I would never even have thought of that, that it's an age-related thing, sort of. Yeah, trends, I mean, it, if you look at, yeah, popular culture, and then, <laughs> um, you know, I, I got sober when I was 26, I'm 33 now, and most of the people in my generation are, are opiates, and it was because we were we were the ones that were the Purdue Pharma and, and the, the easy access. Right. So how many um, beds do you guys have currently? What's your house set up uh, like at the, like, what's your program? Like we have right 36 now? beds between two houses. Okay. So all of our rooms are shared rooms, um, which is, you know, so that guys aren't isolating. Becoming part of the, the community and the culture is um, really important. Yeah. And, and Clayton kind of kind of touched on it um, about the aspect of service and being a big brother and, and, and you know, that responsibility. Um, we're, we're not hiding the secrets of sobriety by any means. I'll tell you right now what it is and it's, and it's being of service. It's becoming less selfish and more, you know, uh, interested in others. And that's what everything in the house is kind of designed to do. So, you know, if, if somebody at home is, is struggling and they're like, what is this? It's it's about being of service. It's about getting out of yourself. That was a really interesting shift, I will say, from an outsider perspective, from a family member's perspective of seeing that shift in Vincent. I saw he specifically does talk about his, um, like, awakening is, I guess, how he put it, or his, his big shift. And... It's interesting to see him love, he loves the last house. So uh, for perspective for you guys, like my brother is, he tries to go to the last house every Friday night. Like that's his thing. He loves, I think that's his community. He really likes being a role model. And I think that was really interesting was he went from being this very selfish mindset to really embracing and wanting to be like a role model. Like he actually really, really embraces that. Like I think that's something he really holds on to, and I think it's been a really big helpful thing for him in his own journey. Well, at some point you start to feel useful. Yes. And it's like I had not felt useful. Yeah. Like other people depended on me, and that feels really good. Yeah. And you you get a little hit of it, and you want more of it. And you want to be more useful and more helpful, and then yeah. all of a sudden life's taking off, and you know, um, yeah. Yeah. And it's really and it's really important for the guys who are in the house in their first, you know, couple months to see, you know, Vince coming back and, you know, um, the, what life looks like beyond the last house and that there is hope. And, you know, when he shares with one of the newer, newer guys, he, he has the ability to talk to another alcoholic or person who, who's struggling with mental health and win their confidence like no doctor like no mental health professional can because he's been there and and yeah. it, they can realize oh this guy's been in it he's been where i've been and and now look at him he's you know you know agriculture and you know has his yeah. family back and yeah. um is is able to buy his own things and right. it gives them hope like right. true hope yeah um if you guys had i mean because i'm a lot of the people here listening i think are going to be on the healthcare provider side do you have recommendations to healthcare providers who are frontline dealing with mental health, substance abuse, you know, those kinds of things? Any recommendations um, that you guys could throw out for potential healthcare provider? We are in very crazy, nerving, uncertain times. Never did I think I would be working during a pandemic. Hospital shifts can be both physically and mentally taxing. In order to maintain mindset and focus, we find the things to keep us stable in our daily routines. 
This one became a staple in my daily routine eight years ago and is the one that I slip on running out the door to the hospital. The footwear that I slip on on a daily basis and has been a part of my life for actually far longer than my bedside experience. This company has been a part of my life throughout my nursing career as well as my barn equestrian life. Sunita Clogs the original Danish clog since 1907. I have been a clog nurse since the moment I set foot in the hospital setting, and I am true to my brands through and through, which is why partnering with Sunita Footwear came so authentically. The Sunita designs and construction are truly second to none and have been in business for more than 110 years. They feature the highest quality leathers and handcrafted by cobblers in Europe. Their clogs provide superior support and comfort to professions in all types of industries. If you're interested in trying a pair for yourself, head over to www.sanita.com and use code NURSETORY for 15% off of your order. If you're looking for some footwear to keep you going throughout your shifts, head over to grab a pair for yourself. All right, back to the show. I mean, there's there's a lot, um, you know, starting from, um, pers- you know, prescriptions of opiates and, you know, uh, when people are younger to, you know, triaging it when somebody shows up into an emergency room where they need treatment and they're ready for treatment. And I think, so one of my huge things with um, kind of like scientists, healthcare providers is the urge is to have a synthetic solution. Um, you know, is I wanted somebody to diagnose me with something and give me the medication that would fix it. That's what kept me out there for years. Like nobody can, what's really wrong with me when the truth is, is that the solution, um, as we see it, um, you know, those of us who, who have gone through, through it is not as synthetic. Um, it's not just like the right combination of, of drugs it's an experience somebody has to go through so understanding that there is it's not as black and white as as you know um science teaches you right i will say too it's interesting because i've my mind shift has shifted a lot just because i've been through it personally but even when i hear something from um a healthcare provider of like i have a mom for example who's on heroin like it's interesting because i used to go so quickly to the mindset of like judgment and it's interesting now because I really shifted my mindset of like, you don't know that situation. You don't know what they're going through mental health wise. You don't know what they're going through substance wise. You don't know what they've been through in their life. And so it's interesting because I think that's why bringing you guys in today was, has been really helpful. And I think for healthcare providers to hear this as well, like, are there any resources that you would recommend that we could tangibly be like, Hey, this might be good something for you or if a family member's with them to recommend them to that? Yeah, I think I think number one, you know, intervention is always you know, referring somebody to a twelve-step meeting if they're if they're open to it, and, and having them call Alcoholics Anonymous and go to a meeting, and if they're if they're there, if it's somebody who's you know far advanced and who is like in need of treatment, mm-hmm. who has just come back from an overdose, who is um, in in the emergency room because they you know got beat up trying to buy drugs and have you know a hemorrhaging. Um, blood it's you know that's where you want to you know call somebody like myself or like Clayton Mm -hmm. and and you know start have us assess uh, what type of treatment is going to be the best fit for them are they ready to come into something like the last house or do they need an acute or subacute detox to just get them free of the drugs Um, and so there's you know people google you know, treatment or drug treatment or, or alcohol treatment, you're going to get a lot of ads. Right. Um, you know, this is a business. This is an industry. It's an industry where a lot of private equity has started to come into. And, you know, you're going to, if somebody calls that line, they're going to get the, on the other end is, you know, a salesman. And I think that it's important to, I think, the healthcare space is, is traditionally a very referral based space right. where it's like, I, I need to get, you know, I want somebody to refer me to a doctor. And so, um, ref, you know, getting a referral from somebody is always best. Like you're a nurse, you're a, you're a, you know, clinical professional mm-hmm. who's, brother has been through this so you 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 handing my phone number to somebody is is gonna is like oh this helped my brother i've had personal experience i vouch for these guys means a lot more than just you know somebody searching us on google and when somebody calls my phone 
um, off of just finding us on Google. I, I, it's just, it's, I feel not only am I lucky, but they're lucky to have, yeah. found, cause like, I'm really in this. I'm a graduate of the last house. I really care. I, I mean, mm -hmm. it's like, I care about all our guys. I know Vince, yeah. I know your mom. Yeah. I know, yeah. you know, it's, I, know. Uh, I have their numbers in my phone. Your yeah. mom has called me multiple uh, yeah. times where she's Sorry. like, Oh, my, fr <laughs> my friend, they have this. Yeah. And, we've referred a lot. Of yeah. yeah. And yeah. so, and that's, and that's essentially how we've we've kind of operated. So when you guys operate for like if someone's calling, how does it look when they're calling you? Does it like you guys are you're physically answering? Is yeah, that what you're saying? I'm physically yeah. answering our, our our all of our our 800 number goes to my cell phone <laughs> or um, Matt Fidlow, our cool. intake coordinator cell phone. And we start triaging and assessing it, you know, right there. A lot of times it's you know, it is something like like crisis um, where it's a social worker in an emergency room like, you know, this person wants help. I, I got this call about a month and a half ago. This person wants help. We need them out of this bed because, you know, this bed needs to be available for somebody who's, you know, going to die. Um, but I want to get him help. I'm like, okay, I will get this guy in a bed in one hour. You just give me one hour. I will find a place. And in one hour I have a ride set up and he's going, he needed to go to residential treatment because he was detoxing and needed acute detox services. Right. Um, if someone lives across the country or doesn't have direct access to you guys, do you have any tips for them or anything like, or just call you? Is that the best way to like, maybe even just get a referral or, you yeah, know, I mean? just start the conversation. I mean, somebody calling my, our number is a huge step that they're asking for help. And it, it's, I mean, it's 2020 right. and we're still talking about the, um, how sobriety is weird and that word. Right. And like, you know, people are scared to reach out for help, especially if nobody knows. Um, you know, it took my mom a long time to be, to just talk to people about what was going on with her son. Um, and so there is a lot of stigma still around addiction. So, you know, I, I make a commitment to, you know, and anybody who works at the last house has this commitment. Anybody who reaches out for help, we, we find them help. Yeah. You know, if they have zero dollars, if they have, you know, PPO health insurance, if they have no health insurance, if they have yeah. all the money in the world, if they have no money, um, we, you know, we have resources and a lot of my job is, you know, about half the year I spend going out there and gathering resources and doing outreach to, you know, find places to place people. So this is kind of an interesting, so I feel like personally, when people hear the word sobriety, it's like you cringe a little bit. Like, it's kind of like this like taboo-y, like, oh, you're, it's like, I don't know. For some reason, we just have this moment where we're like, well, I let, you know, I want to go to brunch and have a mimosa or da, da 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 Or, you know, it's like, it's so involved in our everyday life, right? Alcohol or any kind of like, I don't know, now with CBD and marijuana. And so what do you guys think I feel like makes it normal or normalizing your life the lifestyle the sobriety lifestyle like how do you guys make it so fun i guess or relatable or successful <laughs> clayton you know took me mean? clayton took me to a rave once when <laughs> and i was like oh my god this is awesome <laughs> yeah, a sober you, rave no it wasn't <laughs> it was, you a, guys it was a rave rave i mean the first time i went to coachella i was in sober living and it's like I didn't have $300 to spend on a music festival and go and like, I wasn't doing any of that. Maybe like early on in my addiction, but it kind of like, it was like a party and then the party got smaller and smaller and smaller <laughs> and smaller. And then it's just me and my drugs. And so like re getting to get out there and, and, and re, um, and, and, and be able to do, you know, I go to Las Vegas and do all kinds of stuff that I wouldn't have done, um, getting loaded and, yeah. and and I have more fun doing it now I grew up in Los Angeles and so I did most of my using there but there's also such a big population of there's a massive sober community and movement there's meetings that the guys yeah. go to in the house where I don't go to because I feel old and so <laughs> whereas if you go to yeah. other places I would be the youngest person in the meeting and so it's cool it's a great place Los Angeles is a great place to get sober there's lots of um, opportunity to do stuff. There's conventions and dances and all kinds of things. And here's here's one of the big misconceptions about treatment, and that you know, um, 
is that we have to when we get sober we have to hide ourselves we have to shield ourselves from 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 alcohol um when you know i'm going to quote the big book of alcoholics anonymous which has been around since 1937 Mm -hmm. um and has been is a free program it says any any um anything that an alcoholic uh puts in front of him in an attempt to shield himself from temptation is doomed to failure and so we have to learn to live life on life's terms alcohol is part of the culture smoking weed is part of our culture you look you know um and we need to learn how to function in life and it's and it's it's not even like a learning thing you know vince talks about his awakening and that's what it is it's like oh i'm cool off all that like um you know i got into this phase where um, I really wanted to dance. I loved to dance. And I was about a year and a half sober and I started going to nightclubs to go dancing. And I had no, there was no interest in drinking. And I was like, uh, I was working at this DUI school at the time. And I was, ta- I was like, how do I talk to girl? Like, how do yeah. I talk to girls out here? Like, oh my God. And this, and this one yeah. promoter is like, without well, what swiping you... right or without, yeah. Yeah. Without, I'm like, I, yeah. I work at a DUI school. Like, he's like, oh my God, that's a perf- perfect. Yeah. So you work at a DUI school and then offer a girl a drink. So you could ask her if you can buy her a drink. It's great. And it's, so it's learning to, to, to you know, um, not even learning, but it's becoming comfortable within society where it's like, I don't want that. I have certain rules. Um, if, if I'm out um, at a place where alcohol is served and I set down my drink and I'm not 100% certain it's my drink, I don't pick it up no matter what. Are I'll go buy your, another one. Are both of your partners sober as well? Mine's Mine is. not. Yours not? Your, mm-hmm. so your wife isn't? She's what you would consider a normie yeah <laughs> she doesn't take it to the extreme yeah. yeah okay um yeah no my fiance is sober it's interesting because in our family it's like <sighs> vincent did a good job i will say of blending in because in our family it's like you know drinks happen and but he doesn't make it a thing it's like it's not a big deal like he's very open with that he's like it's fine like he's but i think maybe that's his own sobriety journey i don't know but He's very open with like it's okay, like you're fine. Like I'm not. He doesn't make it weird. Which yeah. is which is exactly the goal. I mean, you know, in the beginning, we definitely and in the last house especially, there's a lot of containment around not going to areas where where you know there's heavy drug use. Not go, not working in bars. That guys aren't allowed to get a job in a bar their first you know um, job and protecting and you know shielding guys, but. You know, this whole idea of, you know, we have to stay away from people, places, and things. It's like, well, you know, we're going to have to hide our whole lives. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I'm when I go to, if you know, I go to a work meeting, you know, it's likely that some people are going to be drinking there. And if I am going to need to be able to navigate that to be successful in, right. the, in the greater world. Yeah, the world doesn't just stop for you kind of thing. It's like you have to learn how to navigate and... Yeah, and and not only that, but actually, we then get to use these these principles and these things that we learn in recovery mm-hmm. to thrive in life. We're not just surviving our addiction. It's, you know, it's like I, I I have this. I went to this the school of Last House taught me um, so much more about navigating the world than any of the the universities or, or prestigious schools I went to. How often are your guys um, diagnosed with like a, um, an additional like mental health disorder? So that's another another interesting question. Um, pretty much everybody who comes in is is, is dual diagnosed. Um, there's anxiety and depression being the most common ones, and a lot of our jobs sometimes and in, in our psychiatrist job is figuring out why is it are they is it symptomatic? Is it because that maybe they're depressed because they're detoxing? You know. Uh, alcohol, right. you know, or maybe there's a there's a chemical imbalance there, and it sometimes it takes uh, a few months of, of abstinence off of drugs to figure out is this is, is this uh, is this schizophrenia or is this meth induced psychosis? Because if they're still hearing and seeing things after you know 45 days, it's probably not meth induced psychosis. Right. And so I would say about 50 percent of our guys come in with. Um, you know, what we would consider heavier diagnoses, you know, thought disorders and mood disorders. And then um, the other 40% come in with, you know, some type of uh, mood, you know, mood disorder like uh, anxiety or depression. And then there's another 10% that don't report that they have that. Um, And for the most part, they, they maybe don't or have 
had an experience where they realize that they're um, depressed because of the drugs and because of the circumstances they put themselves in. So it's we're heavily skewed towards there being um, mental health issues in addition to, you know, addiction or alcoholism i mean like i know my my brother was off his rocker when he came to you i mean he was like (laughs) i was honestly very skeptical when he came to you i was like i I was like i don't know if it's gonna work but i just thank god that we you know have a place to like throw him but so he was so manic so rude so frustrating and on our end how do you guys handle these kind of personalities because you guys are handling some really tough kids right i mean yeah. On, on all He's spectrum. a bigger guy, too. Yeah. 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 You're like, pin him down. Like, it's a team. No, Five no. He had a beard. I, yeah. yeah. He was like, With a lot of patience. Yeah. And, like, there's been tons of t- I mean, I remember talking to him outside a group when he wanted to bolt probably five, six, seven times and just and just hearing him out and, and uh, you know, not obviously escalating him if he's, if he's frustrated about a rule or something and just... Right. Just showing love and compassion and, and, um, but yeah, it's, 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 it's awesome to see what he's done and what, and what we could, uh, could help him do. And yeah. He wrote, this is funny. I want to jump to this question real quick. So he wrote a lot of words. Can you guys talk about that a little bit? Because I think that's a really interesting, you guys do some interesting tactics in the house. Can you guys speak to this a little bit? Yeah. Yeah. And so, um, consequences are something that most of our guys haven't really had their families paid for the lawyer paid for bail they paid for him to go to a different school they got him a tutor they they mitigated these consequences Mm -hmm. so um what what we utilize um for consequences are um short essays that are on different topics like gratitude or mindfulness or you know 12-step questions and um so if somebody um, were to not show up to a meeting, um, they would get an essay on, you know, accountability or something like that. And that's introducing them to consequences in a low consequence environment. Whereas, you know, once they go out and they're working, if they miss a meeting at work or if they miss a day of work, um, they'll probably lose their job. And right. If, you know, in picture. the real world, if you lose your job, you can't pay your rent. And then, you know, so it's introducing them to these consequences. And they're, they're a huge motivating factor in, in bringing up guys' awareness. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it kind of ties into um, the question about, like, how did Vince stay is, um, you know, allowing guys to have their own experience, make those mistakes, and then um, – have you know a consequence where they can reflect on on those mistakes and then you know it brings up their awareness as far as like oh i don't want that consequence again i better not do that and, right. um you know addicts by nature are impulsive creatures mm-hmm. and we don't think before we leap we just jump <laughs> do, into stuff just do. yeah just i don't care what it is give it to me i'll put it in my mouth you know I don't, <laughs> yeah. what kind of pill you know I, I, i'd take stuff and then be like oh what was that i just took like after right. it's already starting to take effect yeah. um so yeah that that's one of the tools that really brings up that awareness and um, learning consequences right. and accountability what does a transition look like you know as far as letting these guys go out on their own what does the transition period look like how do you feel like what is the success or how do you guys make it so it's successful yeah, yeah. So all that stuff already, I mean, we start doing that in the house where they're, they, once they get a job, they start paying for rent at the house. And, um, you know. But before they get a job, we have them volunteer okay. and demonstrate that they can hold work, something, hold something down. Right. And uh, we've actually had clients sent home from a volunteer job. Now, that means we really can't yeah, function yeah. right now. You're not even yeah. able to work for free. Right. So, right. So, right. It, and and so we have a partnership with Meals on Wheels, and okay. that's part of. So, one of the once someone gets off restriction, um, they'll maybe do that for three or four weeks, okay. and then demonstrate that they're ready right. to work, and then we'll start them. We'll start transitioning them into job search, and. You know, we got, we have guys that come in and maybe they have a master's in business. We have guys that come in that don't that need to need help getting their GED, and we can help facilitate whatever the case 
maybe and so so we have guys that come in who's been who've been through 90 days of residential treatment and the, and and they really 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 need to get back to the workforce so they can stop draining the family of resources and That's so what I was about there's, to ask. yeah there's a lot of factors at play okay um and we do our best to work with all of them to get them because because our goals generally are, are the same as the guys like they want to have a job they want to not be dependent on their families they want those things but they don't know how to get there and they think like and so we get them in the habit of um and, and one thing is we never lower the bar we set the bar high and we never lower it. And the bar to graduate and move on and transition from the last house is a year of continuous sobriety. Mm -hmm. uh, worked all 12 steps right. um, through the program of Alcoholics Anonymous or Narcotics Anonymous um, to be self-sufficient and moving towards financial self-sufficiency where you're able to afford your lifestyle to generally represent the principles at the last house. And so it's kind of like a pass fail, like it's, you know, we make it very, um, you know, measurable as far as like it being a pass fail. And then they move into an apartment with another graduate. They're paying for their own apartment. Um, we continue to, you know, drug test them. They come back yeah. to, to, they come back to the meetings at the house. Um, they um, start learning how to balance life on their own with only, you know, a little bit of uh, accountability from the house to where they're doing these things. I mean, they should be doing the same thing in the house that they do out now that they're outside of the house, right. kind of as second nature. Right. And I think my brother's stint was like 13 months. And even after that, I think he came and lived with us when we were done and he was still getting drug tested each week, which was it was nice to know, to be honest. Like, I was like, he was living here and it was, you guys, you know, followed up with it. And it was cool because, I mean, that's obviously, you know, I, I don't know. It just was reassuring to me to be like, yeah, he's, we're good, you know. He's staying clean and it felt good. You know, the transition period was, for us, it was very easy. Yeah. I felt like. You guys are able to breathe around him and yeah. not, because you're so used to, you're, you, now, you, you know, you, you as the family have trauma from being around him right. you know and like oh my god is he sober is he lying to us right. is he you know and so just like you know the vince needs treatment you know and recovery mm -hmm. you guys need recovery from right. from him too right and, right, right right so not to put the pressure on here but um when do you guys open up a, a female location <laughs> <laughs> The pressure's on here. How many, we, how many times have we gotten this question? I, uh, this this week? <laughs> Never. <laughs> Never <laughs> no, no. happening. Um, um, I do have referrals for women, though. Okay. Um, yeah, so that's good to know. Yeah, there's a there's a couple good... Uh, women's programming is just not the... It's different, which, which is why I like what you guys are doing, because I do think it's such an important aspect of it, is you're just taking the whole gender piece out of it in the sense of, like, there's no pressure. I do think that that... It just works you know the whole, absolutely you know single I mean? gender treatment yes. is is yeah. much more effective because right. guys aren't going to share in a group right. the same way if a, once you a female enters and um and now there's a lot of now there's resource in in you know 2020 there's different genders that need to get sober and and different gender pronouns that need to be used right. and um there's resources for for everybody yeah. and but we're definitely open to supporting the female programs in our area and offering them advice and, and what's worked for us. Right. And, um, yeah, there's a lot maybe of, maybe you're inspiring someone who wants to do that. So you never know. I hope so. Yeah. I hope so. I know you guys have already shared a couple things, but I always ask this at the end of my podcast, do you guys have um, a recommendation of a book, a resource, a Netflix, something that uh, could be useful for our audience to hear or to look out for? Obviously, you guys go check yeah. out the last house. Oh, but, uh, <laughs> yes, the last house website. All your well, one thing I did want to mention that we, um, you mentioned that a lot of your listeners are either nurses or in the based, mental health. Yeah. yeah, and interested. Um, we do not to we'll go back to your question, your original question, but we do offer a scholarship at the last house for anybody that's in school yeah. pursuing mental oh. health education. So if you just Google yeah, this the last house college scholarship, it will pop up and it's basically, um, a, a short essay on, um, 
I forget what. what um... Well, this year what was great was we got to award it to a nurse who was really who was really interested in oh, uh, mental awesome. health and and substance use and wow. wrote an amazing you know essay asking for you know to be awarded the scholarship and it yeah. was you know. I mean, nurses are on the front lines of this. You see right. it, you know. We are. I will say. I will say in the uh, emergency departments, in, you know, our intake, uh, you know, substance is a very real thing that we deal with every day. Um, and I think just, you know, having more awareness of it and just knowing where the re- The big thing I would say for nurses is we want to know where the resources are. You know, we like knowing where to send people if we can't, you know, because they're trying to get that bed cleared, right? So they're in and out. They want the patient in and out, and I, like you said. But this has been amazing just to learn from your guys's. And the scholarship is really cool. That's Yeah, and a lot of the public resources are, are not effective. You right. know, there's this public resource of, oh, dial 211. You know, I spent mm-hmm. three years dialing 211 trying to get into treatment. And, you know, I was, I you know, I'm an affluent kid, and I was sent to a lot of treatment centers with parolees, and I learned how to do you know, parolee things. Um, and so, um, yeah, private in this, and I think, you know, kind of private resources are really, really good. Mm -hmm. Um, if you're talking to the right people, like for example, we're, um, Clayton's the owner, Mm -hmm. you know, it's not, we're not owned by a corporation. Um, it's, we're kind of like a family owned company. And that's the, when we work with other treatment centers, a lot of the ones that we work with are family owned, um, whereas if you're calling, if, if you're a nurse and you call a place and you, you, you ask them what treatment centers are theirs and there's not like, uh, it's not like, oh, our treatment center is just this one that you're calling or, or we have these three places. Um, it's not a good resource. That's a, that's a, a clearing house to sell calls to the highest bidder, mm-hmm. to the treatment center that's paying the most amount of money to get right. that referral. So if it's like, oh, well, we have a couple, can you tell me more about what's going on? If it's anything other than, um, you know, oh, no, this is, the, this is Chris. I'm the director of admissions at the last house. Right. Um, it's the only place I work for. That was something for. I was so impressed with you guys, I will say. like, Because <laughs> my mom like knew you guys by name in the first week. It was very, like, it, you could feel the difference, I will tell you 100%. We knew immediately when we were dealing with this that you guys were it it was just that family feeling you guys had a personal touch you guys were really we my mom knew you guys by name which i think (laughs) is amazing and it does i will say 100 percent. i'm a big believer you guys you guys change our family life for like the permanent and i really want to i want that to come across in this interview because people you know I, i think just being in the healthcare field and i was so helpless like here i am a nurse i didn't know how to handle any of this this was like so out of my realm you know and we kind of gave it up to you guys and you changed our life yeah thank you i mean yeah the best resource i'm always open to talking to 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 people and the best you know you know visiting you know for for people who are who are interested please take take a minute to visit thelasthouse.net yeah give Um, yourself pimp yourself out where can everyone find you thelasthouse.net okay um as you know, you'll see the pictures of Clayton's fantastic beard, and my my lovely mustache, <laughs> the and, and men our stories. Of the last yeah, house. the handsome men of the last house. Yeah. I think some of them might be single if, if yeah, there girls we go. are interested. Um, I'm not, but um, <laughs> I'm not either. <laughs> and yeah, and you know, you can. It's easy to Google us and find us. Yeah. The, you know, the last house sober living, and you have an Instagram call, too, correct? Call the number. Yeah. Oh, Clayton. Clayton. The does house and we also have uh uh the 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 last house dogs of instagram those are all our (laughs) rescues we have have rescue dogs at the house um yeah the instagram the last house is actually uh is it the last house or the last house sober living it's the last house the last house is clayton does it and it's really fun and it's really cool and even if you're not in recovery or sober it's a it's a good account to follow just it's it's uplifting to see you know these guys come from nothing and then you mm-hmm. know we're we were homeless and falling apart to like playing with dogs and going to our first you know yeah. surfing expeditions and we, we also have a pretty cool um short film that's on youtube if you go to the last house 
if you just Google The Last House Sober Living and go to YouTube, um, we have a six minute video. And I think that that will really paint a picture for you of what like we're all about. And one of our graduates made it, who's also like a, a professional um, photographer. And, and, and he did a really good job of capturing what our program's all about. And uh, yeah. yeah. And, and as far as resources other than us, um, I'm a huge um, proponent of 12-step programming. Um, the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous was originally written not just to alcoholics, but to help everybody better understand alcoholics. And before there was this industry of treatment, like, you know, HR departments kept the big book in their, on their chest so they, you know, would know you know, how to deal with their employee who well, is an alcoholic. addiction comes in so many different forms, right? I mean, now, um, even my brother was saying there's, like, technology addiction, you know, which I think is really interesting. It's, like, we're going beyond even just, you know, substance in the physical form, right? Yeah, technology so. addiction is actually something we've been seeing a lot with and something that's uh, been co-occurring with, you know, traditional substance use addiction and one of the biggest... Um, kind of co-occurring things that happens mm -hmm. is uh Adderall abuse Ooh, yeah. and marijuana abuse of guys right. just sitting on the couch playing video games all night and then not being able to show up to any of their responsibilities mm -hmm. and that's the and that's the initial early intervention that moms are like can you please take my son and get him off the couch I don't know he can't get he's not getting a job he's just playing video games he's mm -hmm. just you know Instagramming and can you guys just 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 take them for me and usually that's an early intervention case where substance use is primary mm -hmm. it just hasn't overshadowed you know the the failure to launch thing or the the technology addiction or video game addiction right, right. well thank you so much you guys for coming in today I know you guys are really busy, so you know you're often very important things. But I really appreciate you guys coming in today and Absolutely. talking to our Anytime. audience. Yeah, yeah. Really, thank you really... so much for having us, Nurse yeah. Tori. Thank you guys. Um, it's really, yeah, it's really, really cool to like <laughs> you, you know, um, have your brother in common, and yeah. um, you know, I'm yeah. really interested in seeing what the the fans think of, of his podcast. Yeah. You know, from yeah. his experience and your experience, and then yeah. hearing out, you know, what the solution is on our side right. of it, and, and how you can help, you, you know, hopefully even healthcare providers and help us, you know, guide people as to how to help people. Yeah. So I think this was really useful. Thank you so much for coming in and giving us all your amazingness. Yeah. So, alrighty, thanks, guys. All right, you guys, thank you so much for listening. We truly value your time and look forward to bringing you more selfie shows. So this episode was loaded with information. I have linked the Last House website, YouTube, and resources below in the show notes. In order to support the show, please head over to rate and review the show. Let me know what you think. We really want to hear from you. I also have some exciting news. So we have started with some small selfie swag. So if you leave your Insta handle in the review, we'll send over some super cute stickers and a selfie badge reel featuring Selena, our selfie icon. Be sure you're following us on Insta at C-E-L-L-F-I-E underscore podcast. Make sure to hit that subscribe button. You can find all of our episodes on www.tipsfromtory.com and make sure you check out those show notes below. They have lots of information for you about our guests and of course our sponsors. Thank you so much for listening. Catch you guys next time.